What's up? You're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. I'm your host, Amanda Costco. Thanks so much for tuning in. Consumers and the fashion industry alike are realizing that sustainability is more than just a buzzword. It needs to be a way of life and a way of business. My guest today is a sustainability advocate and internationally recognized leader in social impact. On Instagram, he's known as the Swap King, where he encourages a new generation of fashionistas to trade clothes rather than purchasing new ones. Patrick Duffy is the founder of the Global Fashion Exchange, as well as the Global Partnerships Manager for Common Objective, an intelligent business network for the fashion industry. Here to speak with me about how to make a more sustainable fashion future and how to avoid the downfalls of greenwashing is the one and only Patrick Duffy. So Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. It's such an honor. It's such an honor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to see you again. So for those who don't know, who are you and what do you do? I know this is a loaded question because you have, you know, you're so active in your community and beyond. But when people ask you, what do you do? How do you summarize it for, for them? Gosh, that's such a funny question. I don't even know anymore. I leverage all of my resources and all of my experience and all of my wonderful people that I know in my world to help make the world a better place by, I guess you could say it's consulting for companies on a myriad of, of different subjects so or a different, uh, different area. So one could be supply chain consulting, one could be circular retail consulting, one could be marketing and brand consulting. It all has to deal with the what I like to drive towards, which is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and because they pretty much touch on everything that we need to be thinking about at the moment. And uh, it's a great way for me to be able to help clients construct strategy from, I guess you could say, soup to nuts. So that's what I do. So you're known as the Swap King on Instagram. (laughs) Can you explain the culture of swapping? I think you got into sustainability through this, correct? And how has this become such yeah. an important part of your personal brand? <laughs> yes, I am known as the Swap King, and Kaylee, uh, the sustainability editor for WWD, actually uh, gave me that name, which I'm so proud of, actually. So I started clothing swaps back in 2012 or 13, right when I was having uh, an existential crisis in my uh, leaving hospitality and going into trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I discovered clothing swaps kind of, you know, randomly at a, an inclusive fashion week, which is Copenhagen Fashion Week. My friend Ava had brought me there and showed me what uh, Copenhagen was doing with sustainability at the time. And I literally stumbled into a clothing swap and saw the pandemonium and had that aha moment and realized that this is what I need to be doing with my life and that I can take clothing swaps and turn them into a marketing platform for good. And a, and a way for people to really get engaged that's not harmful to people on planet and actually benefits people on planet. So back at that time, I had no clue what I was doing. Still probably really don't, but I'm just driven by the passion. <laughs> driven by the passion. I'm kidding. I'm was driven by the passion of connecting people, which is what I really love to do. And connecting people through the act of swapping clothing has such an incredible knock-on effect because it builds community, strengthens community around an act of sharing which is so incredible and kind of, in a way, shows us that we don't necessarily need to be buying into this kind of disastrous consumption and over, overproduction, overconsumption and capitalistic model where, and we can really take the power 
to power back ourselves and, and share. So I think opening people's eyes, my own, especially opening people's eyes, that has been extremely powerful because for so long, we've been kind of marketed to in this way, we're kind of becoming, we've felt like we've become powerless, but as a matter of fact, that's not true. So the fun part about it is being able to work with people like yourself, like Kelly Drennan, who is an incredible Toronto, yeah, Toronto, I, who I absolutely love there, and to people all over the world, partners like United Nations, Peace Boat, Fashion Revolution, you know, the list goes on and on, and working with them directly to show them, and to, many of them are doing it already, but working with them directly to help them create um, community around swapping. So I got the name, I think it's because, I, I think because I'm pretty good at branding. <laughs> I'm pretty good at marketing. <laughs> and because of my, I mean, I'm not going to lie. My days in hospitality and working in, you know, nightlife and hotels and restaurants, I used to own my restaurant. It was all really about that. And so what's really, I guess at the end of the day, why it's so kind of an intrinsic part of what I do is because that if we can make sustainability or regenerative, sustainability or regenerative culture or doing good or sustainable development goals, sexy or healing or interesting or as interesting as that you know levi's campaign is or as interesting as that super fabulous fashion brand is then people will subscribe to it i guess that's what it is is i i tried to make sustainability and appealing and attractive through the act of swapping and sexiness <laughs> well you're definitely sexy and anyone who follows you on instagram can testify to that um, thank you i'm always uh, opening my instagram and seeing patrick and his abs where are patrick and his abs today <laughs> those thirst trap for goods are really you know really popular they get a lot really of effective so. yes um, i love that thirst trap for good i'm gonna use that but it seems that you're swapping more than just clothes right and it becomes an exchange of ideas an exchange of a consciousness that seems to be happening right now and you know you recently had the opportunity to interview the legendary Eileen Fisher for Nasdaq and you asked her a question that I'm going to now put to you and that is you know the fashion industry seems to be experiencing a kind of reckoning right now when it comes to sustainability and i'm wondering why do you think this is uh, thank you so much for pulling that interview up. It was probably one of the most important and incredible interviews I've ever done. To bring a fashion designer like Eileen Fisher to NASDAQ, we've got Icon in the fashion industry sitting in financial market. Marketplace was just pretty powerful. So the reckoning, you're right, because I personally feel for a really long time, we've kind of been, the fashion industry has been kind of like lying to our, lying to themselves so to speak, and kind of putting off the fact that we actually really need to change things. And there's been this growing community of sustainability-focused people, sustainability-focused brands, activists. And like I said, going back to 2012, um, when I first started working with it, I, w I wasn't necessarily, the, I'm not saying that I was the first, but there was this much smaller group. And because of all the activism and the pushing and the campaigning from people like Eileen Fisher and others, we've now started to see a tipping point. And the reckoning, especially, I mean, that was, a, I think, interview was two years ago with her. Interesting, pre-COVID. Now it'd be really interesting to go back to, I mean, and see what she thinks. But now with this post-COVID world that we're living in, we really have nothing to do but look and really absorb and see how we can change things, in my personal opinion. And not only see how we can, but actually take those actionable steps especially with all of the information and knowledge that comes from organizations like 
Extinction Rebellion and Fashion Act Now and Sunrise Movement when we're looking at the massive issue of climate change and how the fashion industry really impacts that. So the reckoning is here, but, you know, it's such an interesting time because I definitely think that, you know, many people and brands and companies are stepping into the space where they really need to actively make change. And I'm really inspired by that because I see it as the only way forward. And the ones that are not going to be stepping onto the sustainability or regenerative or solutions, let's just call it the solutions train, are not only going to be left behind, but are going to be left without any any supporters. I don't think people are really going to be supporting brands that aren't doing good for people and planet in some way. Not only that, I think um, as, an, as an aside, I also think that people are getting really attuned to what greenwashing is. Whereas again, 12 years ago, when I first started my journey in it, I don't think people even knew what that word was. They don't understand what that word means or even implications of it. But now again, for people like yourself, who are doing such an incredible job in this space are advocating and Eileen and many, many, many others, we're starting to really understand what those things mean. So I think the reckoning is here, but I also think that there's a lot of really incredibly talented, incredibly talented people to help kind of get us out of the mess. And the one thing that I'd like to say always is like, if we can, if we got ourselves into the mess, we can get ourselves out of the mess. We just have to come together and do that. So it's an inspiring time. Yeah, you mentioned greenwashing, which I want to talk about in just a second. But how do you, as an environmentalist, as an activist, how did you interpret it in sen- in the sense of, we-, we talked about this reckoning that's happening in the fashion industry. But did you think of COVID as a sort of consequence of the way that we're living our lives now with the treatment of animals, with the way that we travel, with the way that we kind of just extract resources from the planet. And it seems like we've created almost the perfect conditions for a virus like that. And I guess my question is, is, do you see it that way? And how can we turn this around and make it a positive and, and learn from this? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Let me make this analogy. Let's just say there's a giant sequoia tree that's a thousand years old in the forest. And you and I are standing there with our axes, right? And we're chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then our friends come and start chipping away, chipping away. And then our other friends come and start chipping away. Pretty soon, we've got 50 people around this giant, massive sequoia. And we're all with our axes starting to tear it down or starting to chip away at the base. What happens after a while? We get through and the thing falls. So I guess as an analogy with that, that's how I see what's happening now. We've been extracting so much and not having, not putting back into the environment. We've been extracting so much from people and not taking care of them. And there's a cause and effect with everything. And so I'm not, I'm definitely not a scientist. I'm definitely not somebody who's like a super expert on this happened and this happened here and this happened here. But it just seems like a plausible that because we're, of all of the destruction that's happening, not only with the fashion industry, but fashion and fossil fuels and all of this other stuff, it's just a massive imbalance. And so one person who I actually had talked about this, I did a podcast with her, was um, Nicole Rycroft Canopy, who's an absolute genius. And she said something to me, which was quite interesting, which really opened my mind, as as I mentioned, I'm a scientist, but she was saying that these diseases are already in the ancient forest and they're already there. It's not like these things are just kind of popping up out of nowhere. But when you have an ecosystem that's sheltered by the ancient, you know, ancient forests or indigenous communities or, or whatever that is, when they're in these ecosystems, they stay there. That, that's kind of part of what an ecosystem is. And as soon as you disrupt that, as soon as you tear down millions and millions of trees or deforest 
in all of Brazil or, you know, all over Latin America or Southeast Asia or whatever. These things have to, they come up and they have to go somewhere and they have to do something. So very, very, very simplistically for a brain like, so a brain like mine can understand it. We have to stop doing that because if we, the more that we continue to be destructive to the planet in, in terms of tearing down forests or even it's World Oceans Week or World Oceans Month right now, look at what we're doing to the oceans and, and we're, we're basically destroying them. We might have a dead ocean. If we have a dead ocean, that means the rest of the world basically implodes. And so it's a really sad cycle. And I think if we don't continue to look at solutions out of it, we're going to find ourselves back in that. We're going to find ourselves in a really, in a really, really horrible, horrible place. You asked me, how did I read COVID? I read it in a way where it was like, you know, it's nothing new. Pandemics are nothing new. It's not, it's not something that like, all the, like we've never had a pandemic before. But I think how the world dealt with it, especially in America, how we dealt with it was really telling of the fact of who we are as a global community and who we are as a people. And it was really powerful, I think, to live through because I think so much of it was driven by, again, in America, capitalistic gain and all that kind of stuff, which I think really slowed down the progress in which we could should have taken in order to get to the other side where hopefully we're at now. But I definitely think that it's something that has really opened my eyes and opened everybody else's eyes about just how fragile and how susceptible and how dangerous things can be if we don't take care. So I don't like to say that it was going to happen or it was meant to happen, but if you're continually driving into a place where all industries are just not taking care and they're you know dis- dismantling everything, then there has to be a result of that. And whether COVID was the result of that or something else, I don't know what that is. But I, I just feel like we need to need to really just use that as a demarcation and do a 180. So yeah, do really better long, from here really on in. Yeah, it was a really long-winded answer, man. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, I mean, I think it's all relevant, right? It's all relevant to what we're talking about. And <laughs> it was the first event in my lifetime where I think the whole world realized how connected we all are. We, sent, we tend to think of ourselves as nations, as, you know, individuals, and not a person on this planet was not impacted by COVID in some way. And so mm-hmm. in that way, it was a really powerful reckoning for all of us to come together and say, hey, we are all in this together. And I don't mean to sound like let's all hold hands and kumbaya, but really, if we have a dead ocean, as you're saying, then it's not good for any nation. If COVID is anywhere in the world, then we're all in trouble, right? Yeah, a little bit beyond the fashion industry, but like there are so many events that are happening that a lot of, a lot of us don't see because of how media is controlled. You know, I told people, for instance, I've been like really tracking what's happening in Sri Lanka with the ship that's been burning for however long and the crazy natural disaster that's going to be a continuous, like it's just, it's going to decimate so much. And it's happening in, you know, in off the coast of Sri Lanka or, you know, what's happening with the Ecuadorian rainforest and Chevron and like, you know, all of that stuff with Stephen Donziger and kind of like wiping that under the table and trying not to get people to know about it. So I think the most important thing that we can do as active citizens is to stand up and to start voicing and, and sharing, showing and, and sharing all of these things that are happening because so many people don't really understand. In the fashion industry, I think too, so many people don't really understand what happens. I'm, you know, I'm here, I live in Minnesota now and I love where I'm from. 
Um, and I love my family and I love being here. But, you know, when, when going back to your first question, when you ask me, like when people ask me, what do I do here? As soon as I start to say sustainability, clothing, supply chain, do the people's eyes glaze over and they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know what I mean? And like we've been, you and I and many other people that we are in, in this kind of like niche with, we live it and breathe it every single day. But there's our friends, our neighbors, our family members don't know anything about it. And it's important for us to kind of pull people in in a way that's not going to scare people away. Because I think that's something that also is really problematic is it's daunting, it's scary, but it's real. We can't step away. We can't look away. We have to deal with it. So, yeah. 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 Well, you're, as I was going to say, your Instagram makes it very accessible for people. <laughs> the way that you present it. So. <laughs> Swipe up. Swipe yeah. up. Swipe up. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, sustainability is becoming such a buzzword and you mentioned greenwashing. How do you separate serious sustainability efforts from the ones that are just for show? In other words, how do you feel brands can actually make a meaningful impact and have it not just be a marketing campaign? Yeah, well, I mean, I think first and foremost, you, they ha- it has to be all, it's about transparency. And I think, it show, again, going back to educate consumers about what transparency actually means for a fashion brand. So many times you look on a website and it says eco-friendly and it has like kind of all these buzzwords and like icons and, you know, symbols and, and certifications that people don't really know so much about, but they're put on these products, you know, with a leaf and everybody goes, oh, you know what? There's a leaf on that product. It must be good for the planet. But people don't really, they don't really understand, you know, what it is that not only what it is that this actually means and that actually there's nothing good about that. <laughs> so you know, I think, first of all, educating people about what greenwashing actually means is the first and most important thing. And I'll, I'll just say it on this podcast. And, you know, hopefully if there's people that are listening, will will use this information. But essentially, it's having one tiny piece of your product or your campaign or your whatever, your business that is somehow, you know, sustainably focused, but then you drive all of your marketing dollars and all of your vocalness and everything that you do gets, you know, driven around that fast fashion, of course, is so famous so famous for glossing over and making everything look super sexy when it's actually extremely detrimental to people and planet. And so how do we look around that? There's incredible resources, of course, like the Fashion Revolution Transparency Index, which I absolutely love. You know, they don't have every single brand on there, but they have the majority of, of the brands kind of graded in terms of how transparent they are. Some Another one that I really love, I know last time I saw you in Toronto, Leo, Leo Bonani's Source Map. That's really fascinating because you actually get to go, if you're more of a techophile, like I know you are, you actually get to go and see what the supply chain looks like and where things came from. And that's also really eye-opening and important. But, you know, Amanda, I will say not everybody walking through the aisle at Target is as interested in this stuff as we are, (laughs) you know? So I think what's, for me, what I think is really important now as we step forward into like this post-COVID universe is legislation. I think that laws laws need to be made for the way fashion brands are acting, the way fashion brands are creating and, and how products are being imported, the laws in which they're being created, how, you know, like all, all of those different things, I think legislation really now needs to start to happen, whether it's local or international. Yeah, great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So we recently saw that Etsy, the New York-based marketplace for crafters, acquired Depop, which is a popular secondhand Uh, marketplace for social selling. And according to ThreadUp's 2019 resale report, we both met Chris from ThreadUp a few years back. 
ThreadUp put a, re a report that said the secondhand market is anticipated to outstrip fast fashion in the next decade. What role do you think technology plays in enabling a more sustainable fashion future? And the reason I sort of equated ThreadUp to technology there is because I know that they're using a lot of AI in their systems and softwares in order to match items to consumers. But I'd love to get your feedback on both the secondhand market and how technology can play a role. Yeah, well, I mean, I, first of all, my, my thoughts on that is brilliant. It's a brilliant acquisition because I think when you're looking at what Etsy is doing and what, who they have been, who is in their universe, is people who are naturally attuned to buying secondhand, mending, recreating, upcycling. They're people who are really, I guess, I mean, crafty, I guess you could say. I mean, that's kind of like the general perception of it. But also, there's a lot of incredible designers and there's a lot of incredible brands from all over the world that use Etsy as a platform because it's a very, very powerful platform. So the merging of both of those things is going to be really incredible because, of course, Debop is a is a consumer-facing sharing platform, which, of course, I absolutely love that. And to kind of merge those two markets, it's like you have people that are, you know, representing themselves as brands or they're selling clothing or bedding or furniture or that's, that kind of thing. But then you're actually kind of, interestingly enough, like micro-focusing on maybe their own their closets. So you see the people that are making the pillows, but then you actually get to go into their closet as well and find out more about what's happening there. So you, you're a huge one with storytelling, which I think is really a powerful way to talk about where clothing comes from and keeping those things into in circulation. So I started with swapping with what I do. We started something called the Swap Chain, which is a partnership with Loblaco and their technology called Spin. So technology has a huge part to play in it because for so long, brands and companies um, had no idea where their clothing was going after it was being sold. With, and now we're using a tool called blockchain, which is also another big buzzword. And why that's so interesting and so important is because it can really allow you to track the data from that, from that garment and create that story and share that story and keep that garment in circulation for longer, but then also have the ability to call that back to either a brand or to your own closet. So that, and that's really interesting because then it gets into the idea of the finance, the finance idea of that is like, how can you re-commerce these things over and over and over and over again? So this t-shirt, for instance, can be called back, can be resold, it can be chopped up, it can be painted, it can be broken down in a t-shirt, yarn and knitted and reconstituted and all that kind of stuff. We were doing that before, but it wasn't harnessed by the power of technology. So technology and the secondhand market merging together is going to be really, really, really interesting because then it will help us really address the waste issue, the post-consumer issue, which I think is so incredibly untapped. I did a talk last week with two incredible people from Ghana and Accra. Well, one, she's Liz Ricketts is the head of the Or Foundation. She's based in the UK. And then I did a talk with Liz Ricketts with the Rio Ethical Fashion Summit. And Liz was telling me all about what's happening at the Continental Market, which is the world's, it's the second largest supply chain for vintage and um, secondhand clothes in the world supplying the global north and what has been happening there has been so upsetting and sad and and just it's basically the, the environment for these people has been completely destroyed because of the simple putting things into a system with no way to manage them on the backside so in a very simple way but if we can have so meaning like all of this fast fashion all this stuff is getting created and there's no solution and there's no plan for it after it, you know, either A falls apart or gets thrown away, it just gets thrown into a garbage dump and sent to Accra or other places like that all over the world. It's like turning on a faucet and then basically, you know, not having a drain 
<laughs> for the water to go down or for a way for a way to it to recirculate. I don't know if that's true. It's a good analogy. So places like Accra, people are living now in basically in our old clothes. It's all over the ocean floor. It's all over the city streets. It's everywhere. So how can technology fix that? How can technology be a part of that is by basically putting data and tracking on all of it and starting to say, okay, well, let's keep these things in recirculation longer. If it breaks down, let's bring it to a place where it can be upcycled, recycled, and you know, and all of those actions, rather than not having any idea of where it goes after it gets old. So I think there's a lot of really powerful ways that the secondhand market and technology are going to be probably driving the future of fashion, I would say. I mean, on another kind of slightly, slightly, I'm not sure if it's more or less interesting, but what's really kind of cool about that is imagine if a brand like Gucci or imagine if a brand like Celeron or imagine if a brand like Alexander McQueen were to start basically using a secondhand stream in order to create new products to sell in their stores. Like what a powerful message that actually has to the consumer and what a powerful, what a powerful tool that they actually have to be able to use re-commerce. So not just getting something that was sold once before, but getting something that was sold once before and breaking it down and putting it back together in a way which can be, you know, even more beautiful than its original state. Yeah. Or in other words, what what if companies were responsible for their products at the end of life? How would that change the garments that they build? Would they build them with more durability and longevity in mind, right? We see companies like Patagonia and Lululemon doing this, but fast fashion is not doing that right now because it's just about getting the sale out the door and driving waste essentially because we seem to, or a lot of people as consumers think that their fast fashion is being donated to the less fortunate, but that's actually a huge myth. It's ending up in these landfills, often in more developing economies, and they're up to their knees in it. No, no, it's true. no you're absolutely right. It's what's interesting about it, though, is the innovation and the, the creativity that I think, like going kind of back to that conversation about what are brands doing to kind of circumvent this. And I will say, um, I love what Madewell is doing. And Madewell, you know, it's a denim company. And my friend Liz is their head of sustainability. And they're doing some really interesting stuff because they're actually taking, they're working with ThreadUp, which is so cool because what they do, you know, ThreadUp, of course, with AI and technology and basically categorizes all the, all everything that comes in, whether it's Fruit of Loom or Madewell or J. Crew. So what they're doing with ThreadUp is awesome. They're basically t- re-inventorying Madewell jeans and putting them in their stores and selling them for a really, a, like an affordable price. And who doesn't love that? I went, I'm here in Minneapolis. I went to the Madewell store and there's a whole shelf full of beautifully worn, gorgeous, you know, Madewell denim for $50, which is really an incredible thing to give people that access. And also is a great way to, you know, take the technology and what ThreadUp is doing and put that into a retail setting. It's an incredible collaboration. And also, I, you know, just to cite what Madewell is doing, which I also really love is you can bring your own items in and to, to, to cite what you were saying about, you know, with recycling programs, that's a huge kind of myth in a way because the recycling programs at stores are kind of in a way a myth because if you bring items into a store to be recycled and then what they do is they drop it off in a textile recycler, which then oftentimes goes to a place like Accra where it gets put into that marketplace and it can't be used. People think that they're doing something good. But what's really interesting, what Madewell does is they you can bring your items and it gets turned into something else, which is like insulation for homes, 
or you know blankets for developing countries or they, there's actually really cool products or really cool uses uh, habitat here for humanity to basically kind of reconstitute the denim into insulation so it's really they've done something really really cool and i think when you go into the store the education piece is so cool because you look up and you say oh wow what is this and they've done that in such a way which is like we're taking our denim and we're doing it you know we're doing this one thing I will say what's interesting about that though, Amanda, is like, because those stores are doing that, I think that's really great. But a really interesting question though, is does that just promote more buying? Does it just promote more of the same? You know, like that was one thing I, and I, I, I'm going to call myself out on this actually. In the very beginning of what I was doing with Global Fashion Exchanges, I was really promoting the textile recycling piece. And what I basically meaning take your item, bring it into a store, have a take back program, have it get recycled, buy something new. Well, what I actually realized what I was doing was not that great. I actually kind of feel like I was using textile recycling in a way to get people to come into a store to buy more conscious product. I really had to check myself and really had to stop because I was like, this is not something what I'm doing is just promoting more buying. I'm not actually, I'm not actually talking about to people about a real solution here. So there was just something interesting to look at, like when you're walking into or walking by a store with a, a textile like take back program. Like another thing with greenwashing is to look at what are they, what are companies really doing with it, i.e., Madewell working with Habitat for Humanity and turning it into actual useful, giving it a new use. So yeah, it's interesting <laughs> to be cognizant of that. You yeah. mentioned, and I think this is a good place to end it, you mentioned that you're participating in an upcoming Digital Fashion Week, which I didn't know you were involved in. Of course, digital fashion has been experiencing a huge boom right now because of the pandemic and because of social media as well. So I'd love to know more about your involvement and your attitude towards digital fashion. Do you see it as an of-the-moment thing, or could this be the future of fast fashion where we're consuming things digitally and expressing ourselves creatively, but not actually having the tangible waste. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it's such an eye opener. My friend Claire and Rick founded something called Digital Fashion Week NYC, and they really are pioneers of this in terms of a fashion week here in, in the United States and in New York City. And so I have been slowly working with them a little bit, and then I just have become much more fascinated with it, of course, in the through COVID and like looking at things like what the fabricant has done with their model and what other um, clothes three, for instance, what they're doing with theirs. And my involvement really is with them is coming on board as a partner and helping create a space and create a place where consumers can actually now interact because we're kind of past the point of testing. So we now, people are going to, how do we get people and brands and companies and organizations to actually adopt it? So where I come in is kind of like help create a structure and a, and a format and a, an actual physical space. So we'll be dropping some more info on that in the future. But what is so fascinating about it that people you know, may or may not know is like when you're talking about creating, for instance, a garment in a digital space, there's many uses of it that I think people don't really you know, know about so much, which you know, one of it is, for instance, with our obsession with Instagram and constantly wearing you know, different outfits or hauling, so to speak. And what's so crazy is that people don't really connect that to an environmental crisis, but it actually does get connected because the more that we promote new outfit, buying new and you know buying things and returning and it just kind of promotes this idea of disposability. So what's super fascinating about the digital component is that you can participate in 
like looking fabulous in 15 different outfits on your Instagram page, but all of those outfits are actually done in digital and you're never actually, they're never actually going to be created. And I think that kind of really blows people's minds that that can happen. And not even just for photographs anymore, like you can have a digital outfit and you can be in 3D. So you can be spinning around a beautiful new dress or a new suit or new pair of shoes. And I know you've talked about that a lot on your podcast and you've really inspired me to actually look deeper into that. And what's also then really super fascinating is how that can connect to actually getting something made in real time. So let's say, you know, you and I are flipping through and we see, see I'll say the fabricant or DressX, which is another incredible organization, um, uh, company that does digital fashion. And we see something that we really, we really like. Well, there could be some day, the possibility where you press the button and then the digital pattern in exactly your size gets sent to a local maker. So then the person, the designer who lives maybe in England or Italy or Latin America or China or Australia can actually sell an item which can then be put on blockchain so it's tracked and traced in that pattern and gets sent to a local maker in a local market with connecting it to a company like Stephanie Benedetto from Queen of Raw. So you're using secondhand materials in order to produce and you're working with local seamstresses and local garment makers to produce. So it's mind-blowing because I think it's just going to kind of blow the doors open on access and how brands are going to be in the future. So I'm really super, super excited about it. Me too. I I love the idea of using digital fashion as a try-before-you-buy experience to then produce something on demand in perhaps a micro factory, but also just this idea that digital fashion doesn't have to obey the same parameters as real fashion. So you can have a dress made of fire or water and you can really be untethered from reality in terms of your creativity. And there's no environmental impact to that or there's little environmental impact because it's all zeros and ones on a computer. So I think it's a really, really exciting time for sustainability, for technology and for fashion. So I'm so glad that we were able to carve out the time to chat, Patrick. It's always a pleasure. Me too. Thank you so much for being here. Me too. Thank you. Always an honor. Always an honor. And I just adore you. Thank you so much for having me. That was my conversation with Patrick Duffy, sustainability advocate and social impact leader. To learn more about his work, you can visit Electric Runaway and click on podcasts. That's where we include all the links and show notes for each episode. It's also where you'll find all past and future episodes of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Amanda Costco. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Amanda underscore Costco. You can also follow Electric Runway. We're at electric underscore runway across social media. And as always, we're available at electricrunway.com. Know someone who would make a great guest for the show? You can reach me, Amanda, at electricrunway.com. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, here's looking towards the future.